Jesus came from heaven to earth to give you the gift of eternal life and to inspire you to live your best life here and now. This message is the second in the series, A Big Christmas. The message is entitled, Inspired to Be Your Best. Here is Pastor Dale O'Shields. Go ahead and grab your Bibles, your teaching sheets as we are moving into the second part of a Christmas series. As we're getting started, I want us to welcome all the folks in Frederick, all the Frederick folks this morning. Welcome all the folks at Clarksburg at USG. Give them a good round of applause this morning. Let's welcome all of our campuses in as we get ready to study. We're looking at a series entitled A Big Christmas. We're taking a look this year at what Christmas is all about. As I've told you before, Christmas is one of my favorite times of the year. I love it. I love everything about Christmas. I love all the decorations, and I love the food and all the elements. In fact, uh, this past Friday evening, my wife and I and some of our family went over to the uh, Gaylord at National Harbor just to walk through and see all the Christmas decorations there. If you haven't done that, you need to go see it. It's beautiful, and the wonderful light show that they have inside the Gaylord there, it's phenomenal. But I just love the Christmas season. It's a beautiful time of the year to celebrate but it's important that we know what we're celebrating and sadly in our world today a lot of people don't even understand what Christmas is all about they don't get it they don't understand they just think of it as a holiday well Christmas is not a holiday it's a celebration of a holy day a very important time in history when God came into our world when God stepped in, when God became flesh and made his dwelling among us, it's called Christmas, the incarnation, God becoming flesh. And why did God come? Why did Jesus, the Son of God, come into our world? That's what this series, A Big Christmas, is all about. We're looking at three things that are very big about Christmas. First of all, Jesus came, as we talked about last weekend, to bring us back to God. We were estranged from God. We didn't have a relationship with God because of sin. We had wandered away. But Jesus came to be our bridge, to bridge us back to God, to bring us back to Him. And today, I want to talk to you about a second reason why Jesus came. Jesus came to inspire you to live your best life. Because when you were created by God, you were created to be something, to do something, not just to live a life of existence. There is a purpose for your life. There's a plan for your life. And Jesus wants you to be inspired to be your best. See, Jesus wants to move you from the inside out to give your best and your all to him, to live for him and to live for his purpose. Inspiration is a key ingredient for any kind of leadership. Great coaches are inspirers. They inspire their players to play the best. Great business leaders are inspirational in the fact that they, they work to accomplish a mission with those around them, to, to move them forward and getting the best out of them, to do whatever work it is and mission they're trying to accomplish. And I want you to know that Jesus, as a great leader, but more than a great leader, is the Son of God who created you. He wants to inspire you, not just command you to do your best, but inspire you to do your best. And you can live your life with him out of a commandment orientation. I'm going to do this because he told me to. Or I'm, I, I'm going to live for God. Or you can live for God out of an inspirational motivation of life. I do this because I want to. Which is a better way to live? I have to or I want to. I have to or I get to. Which is the better way to live? And the better way to live is I 
get to. This is my wonderful opportunity. And so I want to talk to you today about five things in your life, five ways that Jesus comes along to inspire you and five things that Jesus wants to inspire you to do and to be so that you can experience your best life. Let me start with a question. My question is, how many of you want to live here on earth your best life? Leave, as they say in the, in the athletic realm, don't leave anything on the field. That is, give your best in the game. Put everything in. Don't walk off the game at the end and you knew that you had more that you could have given that you didn't give. I don't want to live that way. I want to live my life so I put everything in so that when I have finished my life here, I finished it well. I didn't just finish, but I finished well. I've lived my best life. And I'm going to share with you five things today that will help you to live your best life. Five things that Jesus wants to inspire you to do. Are you ready? Number one, the most important step in this journey, if you're going to have your best life, you have to be inspired to actually let go of the control of your life. You've got to give up your own control. One of the first things that Jesus does whenever he comes into your life is he, he asks you a question or he makes of you a request. And the request, to put it in terms that most of us would understand, all of us would understand, Jesus says, I, I want to take over the driver's seat. I'd like for you to move to the passenger seat. I want to now be in charge of your life. Now, when someone takes over the driver's seat and you're used to driving and someone else starts driving and you're now in the passenger seat, how many of you would be honest and say you get a little bit nervous, right? Because you lose that control because you had that control of driving and now somebody else is behind the wheel and you don't feel quite as comfortable. And Jesus comes along and says, I know you've been driving your life for 20 years or 25 years or 50 years or 15 years, and now I want you to move over to the passenger seat, and I want to, to take you forward with your life. Will you let me do this? Jesus never pushes his way into the driver's seat. He just asks, can I drive now? There's a story related to Christmas where we see a young lady who had to make this decision. Which seat was she going to occupy? The driver's seat or the passenger seat? And the story is found in Luke chapter 1 beginning in verse 26 down through verse 38. And it says, In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth in a town in Galilee to a virgin pledged to be married. Let's all say that together. Pledged to be married. Once again, pledged to be married. Mary had some plans. When you say, when the scripture says she was pledged to be married, she was planning a wedding. She had things in motion for her life with Joseph, as we'll see, and she had already started about her future. She was in the driver's seat. She was heading down the pathway of life, making some determination about what her life would look like. And the Bible says that she was pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her. So now God steps into her world. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. Let me stop there for a moment. This whole intervention of God stepping into Mary's life was an indication. This the very fact that God's about to do what he's going to do in Mary's life was an indication of how much God loved her. And when God comes to your life and to your world and he says, I want to be in the driver's seat, he does that not so he can have control, but so you can have your best life. So that you can experience all that God has because you are favored by God. 
Mary was not the only one favored by God. The good news is that you are favored by God as well. God loves you. That's why he intervenes in our lives. So he said, don't, don't be afraid. Here, here's what's going to happen, Mary. You're found favor with God, and you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you're to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Let's stop there and take a look at this. Now, God shows up and says, Mary, I know you have some plans. I know that you're pledged to be married to Joseph, but I want to step into your world, and I want to step into the driver's seat. I want you to move to the passenger seat. It's not that your plan is bad. I just have something I want to intervene and bring to your life that you never thought about before. And that's the fact that I want to make you a mom to the Son of God. He's going to be reigning on the throne of David and of his kingdom. It'll never end. And there at that moment, Mary is given a decision. She's, you have to understand, she's perplexed by this. What is this all about? In fact, she asks in verse 34, how will this be? Mary asks the angel, since I'm a virgin. Jesus, don't you realize that, God, don't you realize we've got a problem here? Not only am I not married, I'm not sexually involved, and so this can't happen. This is, you're talking miracle territory here. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. Anybody want to say amen to that? I wish I had time to preach on that one little verse today, but I'll come back to that another time. For no word from God will ever fail. Now stay with me in the story. Mary has a plan for her life, right? She's in the driver's seat. God comes along through the angel Gabriel and says, uh, would you like move over to the passenger seat? I, I've got a different plan for your life. And he didn't think about this, but I want to use you to bring the Christ child in, into the world. And you now have to make a choice as to whether you'll stay in the driver's seat or you'll move over to the passenger seat. So let's see what Mary does. You know the story, but listen to it from Scripture, verse 38. Here's her response. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. There in that moment, Mary said, yes, God. I will let go of the control of my life. I'll let you interrupt. I'll let you challenge. I'll let you take over my plans. She wasn't forced to obey, but there in that moment, she was inspired to obey because God had a bigger plan for her life. Dear ones, can I challenge you today, every person here, the greatest thing you will ever do in your life, if you're going to be your best, you can't be your best by yourself. You can't be yourself. You can't be your best by just being you. You need far more than that in your life. You need God to step into your world and take over and be in charge of your life. But he will never force that upon you. It's a choice that you and I make. And just like Mary found a better life when she said yes to the control of God in her life, you will too. So say yes. Number two, the second thing that is vital to you realizing your potential. And part of what Jesus wants to inspire you to do is to learn his ways. Not only to give him control, but then to also learn his ways. Jesus has a way about him. Way represents how he operates, his personality, his nature, his character, how he does things. And Jesus wants to bring you into his world so that you can learn how to operate. A number of years ago, we had a fad that went around the Christian world, and that was the little bracelets that had the WWJD. Remember the WWJD bracelets that many people would wear? And uh, I 
not against them at all, but of course they kind of, most, by primarily they've sort of gone their own way in terms of a fad. But I hope the question hasn't gone away. Because the question that those little bracelets pose to us, what would Jesus do, is still a vital question that you and I need to ask in our lives every day. So if I'm going to live my best life, then I need to be inspired every day to ask myself in the issues of life, what would Jesus do? What are his ways? How would I want to please him? And by the way, as I said a moment ago, Jesus has ways. He says this in Matthew 28, 11, verses 28 through 30. Come to me, he's talking to us, all of you who are weary and burdened, that is, you're tired of your ways, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Learn my ways. He says, for I am gentle and humble in heart. You will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus says there's some things that I really, really want to teach you. There's a prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. When the disciples asked Jesus to teach us to pray, you might recall that he gave us what we know as to, to be the Lord's Prayer. Why don't we say the first portion together? Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let me stop right there. The very first thing that we're taught to pray after we praise God, hallowed be your name, as we're taught to pray, may your kingdom come and may your will be done where? On earth, just like it is where? In heaven. I hope you listen closely to this. When Jesus came down at Christmas, when he was born into our world as the Son of God, he brought heaven to earth, did he not? But Jesus did not just bring heaven to earth so that we could go to, from earth to heaven. He did that because when you accept Jesus, you get eternal life. We talked about that last week. And so indeed, Jesus came to get us to get heaven to earth so that we here in the earth could have relationship with God in heaven. But it's more than that. When Jesus brought heaven to earth, it was not just to get us back to heaven. It was to bring heaven into our earth. That Jesus wants to rule and reign in your world right now. And the way that he rules and reigns in your world right now is by teaching you his ways. When you live Jesus way then heaven rules in you when you establish your marriage Jesus way then heaven is able to rule in your marriage when you parent your children the way Jesus would want you to parent your children you bring heaven into that parental relationship when you do business the way Jesus wants you to do business then you bring heaven into your business affairs when you handle your finances the way that the scripture teaches you to handle your finances you bring heaven into your finances so anytime you live jesus way you're actually bringing heaven into that realm of your life and how valuable is that by the way when you choose not to live jesus way what are you bringing into your life you're certainly not bringing heaven you know why a lot of people have so much hell in their life it's because they haven't learned heaven's ways. And so when you learn heaven's ways, you have less hell. When you learn more of the light, you have less of the darkness. The best way to get something out of your life is to fill it with something else. And so when you begin to live Jesus' way, everything begins to change in your life. And so Jesus says, I want to get in you and I want you to think the way I think and live the way I would want you to live in your thinking and your attitudes and then out of that in your behaviors because Jesus starts cleaning you and me up from the inside out. He doesn't change you from the outside in. He changes you from the inside out. That's why he says in Mark chapter 7 these words, for it's from within 
out of a person's heart that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, evil, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from where? Inside and defile a person. Jesus said, I've got to get down in you and teach you my ways. Paul prayed this prayer for the Galatians. Chapter 4, oh, my dear children, I feel as if I'm going through labor pains for you again. And they will continue until Christ is where? What? Fully developed in your lives. Paul says, what I want to see more than anything else is to see that Jesus Christ is really formed inside of you. Do you want to live your best life? Do you want to live a life where you leave nothing on the field when your life is over? Then you have to give up the control of your life to Jesus, move over to the passenger seat, and then you have to learn Jesus' ways. How do I begin to learn how I'm supposed to live? That's called discipleship. That's why you need to be growing in your faith and developing your understanding of how to live as a Christian. Bible study and Christian fellowship and life groups and all those things are not just stuff we try to get you to do here because we want your life to be filled with activity. It's how you grow in your spiritual journey. It's how you develop. Number three, the third thing is you have to you have to be inspired by Jesus. Let him inspire you to personally and publicly identify with him. You have to get to the place where your identity is found in no one other than Jesus Christ. That he is the solid identity of your life. I'm going to talk more about this in the new year because as, as I told you, I'm going to do a series in the new year called Fear Less, Less Fear in Your Life. I'm going to talk about insecurity and fear that gets inside of us. Let me just let me touch on it here today just for a bit. The basic root of insecurity in your life is all about trying to get your identity from things outside of you, that you feel valuable when certain things outside of you are in place. In other words, some people, that's material things. They feel good about themselves as long as they have X amount of dollars and they begin to equate their self-worth with their net worth. And so if I have lots of money, then I'm valuable. If I don't have much money, I'm not very valuable. Or the car that you drive, the clothes that you wear, all those things are ways that a lot of people try to find their identity. And again, there's nothing wrong with those things, but something very wrong when your identity is in them, when those are the things that make you feel important. If you think the car that you drive makes you something, you're, you're really actually shallow on the inside because it's not the car you drive or the clothes that you wear that makes you a person. What makes you a person is what's down inside here, amen? Okay. That's what makes you who you are, okay? And so you need to be rich and strong in here, and, and that's your identity. And that, that comes from something out, other than outside of you. You need that identity in relationship with Jesus Christ. You need to know some, that you are somebody, not because you're trying to prove that you're somebody, but because Jesus said you're somebody, okay? Are you with me here? And even as Christians, we have this tendency to try to put these other things on us to make us feel like we're worth something because we have this insecurity on the inside. And Jesus says, no, if you want your best life, you need to get to the place where you, your identity is in me. You don't have to have anything else to make you feel good about you. You don't have to be popular. You don't have to have this or have that to make you feel good about you. Those things don't, don't mark your identity. Your identity is marked in the fact that Jesus says, I love you and I accept you. You are valuable to me. And when you begin to get to that point in your life, you're now in a place where God can begin to do stuff in you that he could not do any other way or any other time because you're, you're, there's a sense of security in your life. And I'll tell you what else will happen. 
When you get to this place where your identity is in Jesus, you get to a point where when it comes to the world around you, you don't really care whether they accept you or not because you're going to stand up for Jesus no matter what they say or do, right? Okay, amen? Okay. You don't have to have the acceptance of the crowd. You don't have to be the popular person. You don't have to have everybody applauding you all the time because inside you have a relationship with Jesus and so you can stand up for him in any situation because his acceptance is what matters more than anybody else's. That's why the song says, if the whole world forsakes me, I'm still going to follow Jesus, right? No turning back, no turning back. I've made the decision to follow Jesus. And so when that happens in your life, lots of things happen. But when you're in this place of like getting your identity from the world and trying to get it from identity, your identity from Jesus at the same time, you're, you're, you're of most people very miserable, okay? You can't live that way. You can't live between two things. Jesus said it like this in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, you'll be devoted to the one and despise you. You cannot serve both God and money. He was happening, he was talking about uh, money in that setting, but I will tell you, you can put anything there. You cannot serve both God and, fill, fill in the blank, anything else in your life, you can't serve God and. And you'll experience your best life when you say, my identity is in Jesus. Luke chapter 12, verses 8 and 9. Jesus' words. I tell you the truth, everyone who acknowledges me, how? Publicly, here on earth. The Son of Man will also acknowledge in the presence of God's angels. But anyone who denies me here on earth will be denied before God's angels. Do you see that identifying with Jesus is a very big thing in your spiritual journey? It's a huge thing. Acts 2 verse 38. Let me tell you the background of this. Peter had preached a message. It was an amazing message on Pentecost. And bunches of people had listened. And when, when Peter finishes the message... 3,000 people who did not know Jesus asked Peter the question, what do we need to do to get saved? We want what you've got, Peter. And notice it was 3,000 people are asked, they're asking Peter, what do we need to do to be saved? And Peter gives them the answer. Notice what he says in verse 38, Acts chapter 2. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Peter says, you, you want what I've got? You've got to be willing to put your identity in Jesus. And that's why he even mentions baptism. It's not that baptism saves you. Baptism doesn't save you. Baptism wets you. Okay? It's all baptism does in, that, in, a, in a physical sense. It doesn't save you. It wets you. It gets you wet. Okay? But it's still an important thing because baptism is the way that you publicly take a stand and say, I'm going to go into these waters of baptism. Before a group of people, and I'm saying, this is historical in Christianity, you go back to the earliest times of Christianity, you'll understand that baptism wasn't a form or ritual that people went through. It was a moment they were identifying publicly with Jesus Christ. And they would go into those waters of baptism and you'd be put under the water as we do here and immersed, immersed, immersed under the water in likeness of Jesus' death. You're dying to the old way of living and then you're raised up out of the waters coming up out in the newness of life in Jesus Christ declaring that I'm going to be a follower of Jesus. I've now just through baptism publicly declared my faith in Him. For some of you, Maybe you've never taken that step of baptism of publicly affirming your faith in Jesus, your identity with Him. And the very early part of 2016, we're going to be having some baptism services. And we really want to encourage you to start 2016 with a sense of identifying with Jesus and say, I'm going to live for Him. Follow Him in baptism, not just as a form or a ritual, but as a point of identity. I'm identifying publicly with Jesus Christ. 
Paul talks of this in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 24. With the Lord's authority, I say this, live no longer as the Gentiles do, for they are hopelessly confused. Their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life God gives because they've closed their minds and hardened their hearts against Him. They have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasure and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. But this isn't what you learned about Christ. Since you heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from Him, throw off your old sinful nature. That's when you made identity with Jesus. Throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Read verse 24 with me, if you will, all of our campuses. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. Two final points as we're concluding today. The fourth thing that you must be inspired to do to have your best life is to live for what lasts. Live for what really lasts. You know, a lot of people are living for what lasts for a moment. Living for short-term gains in life, material gains or human acknowledgement or personal achievement, all those things, again, nothing wrong with them, but they don't last. They just don't last for a long time. And so you and I need to find out what lasts and give ourselves to what really lasts. And I want to tell you what lasts. Are you ready to know what lasts? Your relationship with God lasts forever, okay? So you need to pour into that, okay? That's the most important relationship in your life is your relationship with God. And sadly, most people neglect that relationship more than any other relationship. But it's your most important relationship. When you stop going in your relationship with God, you're not pouring into what really, really lasts forever. I'll tell you what else lasts. The work of the kingdom of God through His church and the world. It lasts. It's making a difference forever and ever. That's why we invite you to support and give and to be a part of the life of the church. Not only giving financially, but being involved in the active uh, ministry of the church. Why? Because it lasts. It makes a difference for eternity. The Word of God lasts forever. All of these things are things that really do last. Jesus says in Matthew 6, verses 19 through 21, Stop storing up treasures for yourselves on earth, where moths and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal. Instead, store up treasures for yourselves in heaven where moths and rust don't destroy and thieves don't break in and steal. Your heart will be where your treasure is. Wherever you, whatever you start treasuring is where your heart will be. Have you ever had someone steal something from you before? Ever had a, an experience with a thief? It's a miserable feeling, isn't it? They've taken something away. Jesus said that's the way life is. Things are going to be stolen from you at times. You're going to lose things. Corruption will take place and corrosion will take place. And moths come in and eat up your favorite sweater, okay? These are things that happen in our world. But Jesus says, store up treasures in heaven. Paul lived this way. He lived for what lasts. 2 Timothy 4, 6 or 8. Now the time has come for me to die. So Paul's in his last days. He's going to die very soon. My life is like a drink offering being poured out on the altar. I have fought well. I have finished. Come on, say it with me. I have finished the race. He didn't just start the race. He finished it. There are a lot of people that start that never finish. I don't want to be a starter only. You can't finish unless you start, but I don't want to just start only. I want to be a finisher. Amen? That's why I've never, never run a marathon. I knew I'd never finish, okay? So whatever you start, you want to finish. I finished the race. I have been faithful. So a crown will be given to me for pleasing the Lord. He judges fairly and on the day of judgment... He will give a crown to me. Boy, isn't that wonderful? It's something that lasts, okay? He 
he'll give a crown to me and to everyone else who wants him to appear with power. The final thing, you want to live your best life? You've got to make the decision. Let Jesus inspire you to help him help and reach other people. The greatest life you'll ever live is when you live to help Jesus help and reach other people. One of the things that many Christians fail to get is their calling. And there's this paradigm shift. I don't have a lot of time to talk about it today. I've talked about it before, and I'm sure I'll talk about it more in the days to come. But in in our lives as Christians, we have to have this shift in our thinking. Because our mindset is that we become a Christian, and we're going to heaven. And so I know I'm supposed to go to church and kind of do that thing. And, and But beyond that, if there's ministry to do, that's what the pastor does, or that's what the church staff does. And you're right, certainly the pastor and the church staff is involved in ministry. That's what we're called to do, and that's what we engage in. But the fact is is that we're not the only ones called to ministry. Every Christian is. Did you know that? That when Jesus saved you, he saved you to put you on the team, okay? He saved you to make you a part of his work in the world. He chose you to be a part of his team. Think about that. You remember back in elementary school and junior high school, middle school, when you'd have recess and, and you'd go out to play games at recess and there's, there are teams that are going to play against one another and you usually have the two top athletes making the choices. They're the captains of the team and so they start picking, I want this one and the other one gets a pick and I want this one and I want that one. And for some of us, we're like at the very, very end, you know, and we haven't been chosen yet and the two captains are arguing, no, you take him, no, you take him, no, you take him, you take him because we're not wanted, okay? But what I want you to know today is that Jesus picked you. He said, I want you on the team. That ought to get a little bit of a hallelujah right there, okay? I want you on my team. I want you to be a part of what I'm doing in the world. I want you to help me help other people and reach other people with my gospel, with my truth. And so you are called to be a part of this work with Jesus, to partner together with him. And your highest calling in life is not your profession. You will have a profession. You will have an occupation. There will be things that you go to do to make money for your family and to provide for your needs. But in the midst of that, there's something more more that Jesus wants you to do. He wants you to be your rep- His representative wherever you are. Whatever your occupation is, Jesus wants you to be His rep in that environment. He wants you to represent Him. He wants you to be, your, his, he wants you to be his ambassador there in that setting. If you're in construction, if you're in business, if you're in government, whatever you are, Jesus says, I need one of my people there. To be an inspirer of others, to help me help others and to help me reach others. This is our mission, Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you, talking to each one of us, will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. What's the purpose of of the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. The purpose of the power of the Holy Spirit is not to make you feel good. There are a lot of people who think the purpose of the Holy Spirit is to give you goosebumps, make you feel all spiritual. Well, I hope you do feel spiritual. I'm not against spiritual goosebumps. If you get a quiver in your liver, that's great. Good for you, okay? Awesome. But the purpose of God is not to just make you emotional. Amen? The purpose of God is defined right here. 
when the power of the Holy Spirit comes on you, you will be my, come on, what does it say there? Help me out, church. You will be my witnesses. It didn't say you'll be my whacked out people, okay, that are just kind of crazy and feeling lots of emotion. It says you'll be my witnesses where he's talking to the early church, but it applies to us in Jerusalem. That was their hometown. In Judea, that was their state, if you will. Samaria, that was passing beyond their state, their region, and to the ends of the earth. Let me wrap up with Matthew 9, 37 and 38. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Whose harvest field is it? It's his. And what what does the scripture say that God needs? What does he need? Workers, right? He's got this harvest field. And the harvest is a big harvest. Think if you had a big harvest field, and I mean, let's, let's just use an orchard, for example. You have an apple orchard, and you look out on your apple orchard, you have this massive apple orchard, and they're like, there are apples hanging from the tree, and they're just about to fall. And you know, if they hit the ground, what's going to happen? If they're not harvested, what's going to happen? It's going to be wasted. And so God says, I've got this massive apple orchard out here. And boy, all these trees are producing and the fruit's hanging down. Uh, just, I mean, ready to be picked. I've got this massive, and I've got this major, wonderful opportunity, except I have one problem. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And there's an urgency in this particular passage where Jesus is saying, pray, pray. Ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest field. Let me tell you the wisdom of God here. I'm going to conclude after that. The wisdom of God. He knows if you start praying for, the, for workers in the harvest field, you'll start getting a burden to be a worker in the harvest field. Amen? If I start praying for this massive harvest field, and by the way, we live in a world today that is a massive harvest field for Jesus. You know, there are lots of people, lots, millions, billions of people around the world that don't know Jesus like we know him. They deserve an opportunity to hear about him and know him. Amen? Right here in our Jerusalem, in our Judea, in our Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, Jesus says it's a massive harvest field. But I need you to sign up and be a worker. Why? Because your best life is not found in living for you. Your best life is found when you live to help him help and reach other people. Amen? Let's bow our heads together in prayer this morning. Father, we thank you for your word. We're so very grateful that you're challenging us today to respond to the inspiration that you're giving us. Thank you, Jesus, that you came from heaven to earth at Christmas to inspire us to live our best life to be our best for you. Help us to respond accordingly. In Jesus' name. Thanks for joining us for today's message. I trust that you've heard something from God's Word that'll make a difference in your life now and forever. Maybe as you were listening to today's message, God began to speak to you about a personal relationship with Himself. You know, the most important thing we can ever establish in our life is a relationship with God, and we do that by opening our hearts and lives to Jesus Christ. If you've never invited Jesus into your life, today is your day. It's your opportunity. And I want to lead you in a prayer right now that you can pray that will forever change your life, that will allow your name to be written in the book of life for eternity. 
All you need to do is simply pray this prayer with me and mean it in your heart. If you'll mean this prayer, God will hear you. The Bible says that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So would you pray with me right now? Whisper these words to God or speak them out right where you are. Say, Jesus, just mention his name. Say, Jesus, I admit to you today that that I am a sinner and I'm sorry, God, for everything I've done wrong. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you are God's Son, the Savior, the Redeemer. I thank you that you died on the cross for me and that you rose again. I believe in you, Jesus. And then whisper this prayer. Say, Lord, today I invite you to come into my life, to forgive me of my sins, to give me a brand new start in you. I give my life to you today in Jesus' name. Lord, I thank you for those that prayed that prayer with me and I ask that now they would continue to grow in you and serve you faithfully from this day forward. In Jesus' name. If you just prayed that prayer with me, friend, I want you to know that Jesus Christ heard you, that your name has been written in that wonderful book of life, and that now today you start a brand new life in Christ. And to do so, you need some help. You need to learn how to live your life for Jesus every day. We'd like to provide for you. In fact, we have available for you some resources that you can get from our website, church-redeemer.org, that will help you to get a good start in your relationship with Jesus Christ. So again, check out the website, church-redeemer.org. Find those resources that will help you to get going in your relationship with Jesus. If you've prayed with the pastor today and made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, we have some resources for you on our website. Just go to www.church-redeemer.org slash newbeginnings. We pray that this message was a blessing to you.